Father, uh, we ask that you would speak to us so clearly by your word. So grant us attentive hearts and minds so that we would hear from you, that you would bring conviction where is necessary and that you would be glorified by our response to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are a few passages that I've put in the um, sheet there for you because they will be supporting passages that I want you to be able to have there. But I also hope you'll be able to move along in your Bible through a few other passages. The main uh, passage for today is Titus 3, verse 12 to verse 15. And I'll read that out now. This is God's word. When I send Artemis... Or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is God's word. In the 16th century, long time ago, Nicholas Copernicus rocked the world of astronomy and the world in general with his heliocentric theory, which placed the sun at the center of the universe we now know as the solar system. For at the time, it was believed that the earth was at the center of the universe and everything else revolved around the earth. And then there was this theory from Copernicus, this absolute paradigm shift where he said, no, the sun is at the center and the earth is just another planet that orbits around the sun as the center. And often the church needs a Copernican type shift in our understanding of mission. We need a complete paradigm shift in our understanding of mission because what often happens is that we place ourselves at the center of what we do rather than God and his mission and we as his church that are totally revolved around him and his mission. If we're not careful, then we can inadvertently operate under this self-centeredness rather than a God-centeredness. And we need this Copernican-type revolution. What happens if we have a self-centeredness in the church is that the church becomes totally insular and the life of the church revolves mostly around attending a service on a Sunday, being part of a personally tailored small group of people of a similar demographic, like-minded people. And then there are these programs that we set up that again, are usually tailored toward giftings and personalities. And you can sort of involve yourself in those things to have a sense of God's mission. And I don't wanna undercut uh, or throw the baby out with the bath order with those things, but it's very, inward looking and that type of life eventually uh, leads to mission being pushed to the side as some sort of optional extra that we do or maybe churches have like a mission week 
or a mission month where we sort of engage in these missional type things. We talk about uh, God's plan for the nations and God's purpose for humanity. And uh, it gives people a sense of mission. But the question should be asked with that, if churches spend a week, a year looking at mission, what are they doing for the other 51 weeks of the year if not about God's mission? What are we doing? We don't slip in and out of the mission of God. The church is wholeheartedly within God's mission. So therefore, we need this Copernican type revolution where the church is not simply at the center, but actually God is at the center and we revolve around him. We need God and his mission rightly placed at the center. Speaking on this necessary shift, one missiologist once said, Rather than God having a mission for the church, it's better said that God has a church for his mission. So rather than God having a mission for the church, it's better said that God has a church for his mission. Rather than the church existing for their own purpose and then involving themselves in submission from time to time, actually the church is fundamentally the vessel that God has chosen to be wholly within his mission. It is consumed within his mission. So what is God's mission? And I've put the, the definition there for you on your sheet there so that you can follow. What is God's mission? The mission of God is the redemptive work he planned for all eternity to bring glory to his name through renewing all of creation particularly calling out a people to be in Christ. This redemptive work finds its goal in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So let me give a passage to just show that. In Ephesians 1, 5 to 10. So if you have your Bibles, do turn to Ephesians 1, 5 to 10. This is what undergirds this definition of God's mission. Let me read the, the, the definition again. God's mission is the redemptive work he planned for all eternity to bring glory to his name through renewing all of creation, particularly calling out a people to be in Christ, that is the church. This redemptive work finds its goal in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me read from Ephesians 1, 5 to 10. This is a mind-blowing passage full of of rich, wonderful theology that ought to cause our hearts to absolutely expo explode in adoration. Ephesians 1, 5 to 10. In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us within the beloved, in him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is God's mission. To redeem a people whom he predestined for adoption through Christ. This is his purpose, to bring restoration. And it's to all of creation, because notice it says here, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Christ now reigns, as Abraham Kuyper said, over every square inch of the planet earth. 
He reigns over everything and he is going to unite all things. Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. But yet his mission centers on the people whom he has chosen to be called out in Christ. And this is all to the praise of the glory of his grace. It's all for the glory of God. This is God's mission. Now, the mission of God's people, the mission of the church is part of that mission. But our purpose, and I use purpose just like mission. Mission is a purpose. So our purpose is distinct from God's mission. It is inseparable but it is distinct. And the reason why that's important is because in this day and age, there's a lot of confusion around what the church should be doing, around what Christians should be doing. Things like ecological concern, um, social justice, all of these phrases that we might put out. And there's a lot of confusion around what the church should be doing. And I think it comes down to a fundamental misunderstanding of God's mission and then the mission of God's people. So for example, we can't save people. That's God's mission, but we can't save people. We are no one's savior. We cannot save people. We cannot unite all things to Christ. That's his work. He may use us to bring about restoration, but that's his work. And despite a lot of the language that gets thrown around now, um, in terms of sort of fighting unjust social structures. And this is where you get social justice coming within the church. I don't believe that part of the mission of the church is to transform society completely. That's God's mission. And he will eventually do that when he renews and restores all things in the new heavens and the new earth. But God's people are not specifically here to transform society. We live as pockets of renewed and restored people within the church where the transformation exists. And there may be byproducts of that that then transform society as we've seen throughout history. But that's not the fundamental mission of God's people. So our mission is inseparable from God's mission but it is distinct. And what I want to focus on today is the primary idea of our activity in God's mission as the church, which is specifically in making Christ known among all people, particularly among all peoples, you might say, among the nations. Perhaps the most common passage for understanding this purpose of the church is Matthew 28, which I've put um, in there, I believe. But if not, uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission, very common passage when you look at what is the mission of the church. Matthew 28, go therefore into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So go into the world and make disciples, make learners of all the nations. And you may have heard nations used to describe people groups, a complex term, ethno-linguistic people groups, which is not like the nation of, say, Argentina or Australia, but actually people groups of which there are 12,000 plus in the world. And the reason that we understand these as People groups, uh, because in the Bible, 
you can have the, the word nation can sometimes mean just simply non-Jew. So you have Jew and Gentile. The word for nation here is just the word for Gentile. It's the word ethnos where we get ethnicity. And it could just mean Gentile, which is just everyone who's not a Jew. But the reason why we see the Great Commission making disciples of all nations as these people groups, as specifically people from the 12,000 plus people groups in the world, is because of passages like Revelation 5, which I've put there in your sheet. In Revelation 5, 9, we get this wonderful throne vision, this heavenly throne vision. And in Revelation 5, 9, we see the worship that is going on in heaven, that will go on in heaven. And we read from verse 9 of Revelation 5, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. This is talking about the Lamb, Jesus, who was slain for our sin. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. It's very detailed here, isn't it? Every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is like the spoiler alert for the Great Commission. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, and then in Revelation 5, we get the spoiler. By the way, it happens. It's wonderful. In heaven, there will be a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation praising the Lamb who was slain. He has purchased a people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is how we understand nation in Matthew 28. This is why Christians have risked their lives and many have died reaching cannibal people, people in remote islands, because these people are part of every tribe, language, people, and nation. They are, Christ is worthy of their praise, and we go into the world and we make disciples because we fulfill the commission that Christ has given to the church, and that is the ordained path to get to this heavenly vision in Revelation 5.9, where we will see every language represented, every language there has ever been on earth will be represented in heaven, praising the Lord. That's the foundation of the Great Commission. Now, you might be wondering, as I would be, where I'm getting this from Titus 3, from Paul's closing remarks here. Where am I getting this from Paul's just sort of almost like a, a personal closing remark to Titus just saying, hey, remember these things, remember these people. He says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing and let our people learn to devote themselves to do good works. So where is this mission of God and the mission of God's people in this text. Well, we often skip over these closing remarks and most people preaching through Titus would probably just finish at verse 11 and then maybe give two minutes at the end of the sermon, just kind of summarizing and giving the final thoughts. But if we look at these remarks, we get a wonderful insight into the highly active missionary mind of Paul. A wonderful deep insight into his highly active missionary life. The Apostle Paul can sometimes seem like someone, I think, who could be a little bit narrow-minded in a good way. Solely focused upon God's mission. 
solely focused upon furthering the gospel. So even as he's writing letters to friends, to Titus, and he's giving closing remarks, which we would think of like a letter like, hey, say hi to your mom for me and greet this person. He's, he's actually furthering the mission of God. He's saying, hey, Titus, make sure uh, when these people come, I'm going to send these people to you and then I want you to meet me here so that we can go on to the mission here. When these other missionaries come, I want you to make sure they're supported and I want you to make sure that people continue to support other people, cases of urgent need, so that the mission of God can continue. He's just wholly consumed with mission. I think Paul has holy blinkers on. You know how horses have blinkers or blinders? Paul has these holy blinkers on. Just nothing is going to distract him from furthering the cause of the gospel. And how wonderful it would be to have holy blinkers on, to not be distracted by the things of this world, to be wholly given to the cause of Christ, to lose ourselves in that and therefore find ourselves. His life is summed up by what he says in Acts 20, 24. I do not account my life worth anything. I consider it of no value, lest I complete the task that has been given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I don't consider my life worth anything unless I finish this task. And we know that Paul sees this task in light of reaching unreached peoples because he says in Romans 15, 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where or not where Christ has already been named. So I make it my ambition to fulfill this task of preaching the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I lay on someone else's foundation. I don't want to go and preach to uh, peoples who have already heard. I want to continue going on to Spain and other areas so that Christ would be made known. Paul is totally consumed by God's purpose that healthy churches would be established. Workers would go out and reach the nations where Christ is made known. Now, in these verses in Titus, we see his concern for this task to continue. So as you look at this passage from verse 12, we see Paul's concern for this task of furthering the gospel to continue. We see the... the uh, highly active missionary mind. So Paul says from verse 12, I'm going to send Artemis or Tychicus to Titus so that Titus can then go to Nicopolis and continue with Paul there. Now, we don't know much about Artemis at all. He's not mentioned in the Bible outside of this. But Tychicus is mentioned a bunch of times so we get a bit of an insight into his life. So we know that Tychicus is Paul's beloved brother, his faithful minister and fellow servant. Paul says this in Colossians 4, 7 and Ephesians 6, 21. We know from other passages that he, Tychicus, was in Ephesus because Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 12 that he is going to be there and he will explain more of what he has said. We read in Acts 20 that Tychicus is from Asia and he was sent with a few others to this place called Troas to wait for Paul and his companions. He also was sent to Colossae 
I hope you're getting a picture of the life of this man just going all over the place. And now he's going to be sent all the way down to Crete to then strengthen the church. Now, keep in mind that, number one, these are not exactly neighbouring towns. The closest route is 200 kilometres away. And then secondly, keep in mind that obviously there's no transport really other than your own legs. So the shortest route for that would have still been at least seven or eight full days of traveling if you were going to walk 30 kilometers a day. And this is the route that that he had to travel again and again all over the place, being involved in the furthering of the cause of Christ. Now, you could not do this unless you had the same sold out identity that Paul has in Acts 20, 24. You wouldn't do it. We often think, oh, that's just an Apostle Paul type thing. But we see again another worker whose life is just uh, almost a bit chaotic, you might say, sent all over the place to strengthen disciples, to make Christ known. And you have to have this sold out identity to the cause of Christ. From verses 13 to 14 in Titus 3, we see more activity where Paul asks Titus to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way, making sure they lack nothing. Now, Zenos the lawyer is someone we don't know a lot about as well, but Apollos is, is actually quite well known. We know he was quite a good preacher. It's likely that he may have even been the unnamed person in 2 Corinthians where Paul says this <clears throat> preacher is famous among the churches for his preaching. Apollos went about, he strengthened the churches. And Paul here is surely asking Titus to financially support Apollos and Zenos, both financial support and the general support of just prayer and companionship, of hospitality, of having them in. Paul wants Titus to make sure the mission continues by supporting these gospel servants. And then he reminds the Cretans, so not just Titus, but he reminds the Cretans to learn to devote themselves to good works. We went over this last week. To learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need. Now, this surely refers to the Cretans of helping cases of urgent need amongst the community, like food, shelter, support in various ways. But also, I wonder if in the context of Paul talking to Titus to make sure that uh, the gospel work continues by supporting people like Zenos the lawyer and Apollos, making sure that they lack nothing, making sure that they're supported. I wonder if Paul is saying here to make sure the Cretans help cases of urgent need like this, because what is more urgent than the spread of the gospel? What is more urgent than that? So make sure you help these cases. Learn to devote yourself to these cases of urgent need in spreading the cause of Christ. So Paul wants Titus and the Cretan church to be active in their support, to not be unfruitful, to not be idle. It's like in, in our fallen nature to just gravitate toward idleness, to want, to want to feel like we're active, but to want to do that in the most comfortable possible way with as little cost as possible. And that's not what that's not fitting at all within what we see here. This is a call to be active in the service of our Lord, which centers on making Christ known. 
So we clearly see a high activity in the life of Paul where just everything is about making Christ known and ensuring the body of Christ is strengthened. And he wants to make sure the Cretan church knows that this involves every single disciple. So what then is the responsibility for us? How are we going to apply this passage, learning from just these brief closing remarks of Paul, getting an insight into his highly active missionary mind and his desire, which is God's desire for the church to be involved in spreading the cause of Christ? How do we understand our responsibility? I want to uphold two truths first. The first truth is that we all have a responsibility to partake in God's mission. We all have a responsibility. We all have a a missional purpose, you might say, as disciples of Christ. We are called to be witnesses. We are called to steward our various gifts as we should to the glory of God. So there is no place in the church for spectators or passive consumers. No place at all. To follow Jesus is to accept the non-negotiable invitation and command to be involved in the mission of God, to be about Christ, to be about making much of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is to accept the non-negotiable invitation and command to be about the Father's work. Second truth is that there are specific people whom God will send to unreached people. There are specific people who are called by the Lord to leave their home and plant themselves in an area where there is an unreached people and spend the rest of their lives ideally learning the language, building relationships and spreading the fragrance of Christ in those areas. Like Paul says in Romans 10, how will they hear unless there is a preacher? How will they preach unless one is sent? There are people who need to be sent out to these people groups. Now, both of these truths, that we all have this missionary purpose, but then within that, there will be some people, usually a minority, who will be called to actually go out to an unreached area. Both of these truths exist within the local church. No true missionary activity should ever be done with complete separation from the local church. The local church is the foundation God has a church for his mission. This is the biblical model. In Acts 13, we see the church gathering together and then Paul and Barnabas are set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent out from the church at Antioch. So we see that there is both a moving and a planted activity, a mobile and an immobile, but not in a bad way, activity within the church. If you look back at verses 12 and 13, we we see the moving component of the church because in verses 12 and 13, we see Artemis or Tychicus about to come. We see Titus going. We see Zenos and Apollos uh, coming through and going on somewhere else. We see this moving activity within the church. But then we also see a planted activity. And you can see this by verse 14 because Paul assumes that there will be people 
in the Cretan church who are there, who are planted, who can devote themselves to the cases of urgent need. We need a planted people to be in the church to then help the ongoing work and they function together. So we need both. We need both moving and planted people. The church is a body full of moving and planted people and none of these are inactive. The planted people are not inactive. Those who are planted are actively involved in the local community to glorify God and enjoy Him forever and to do that by spreading the gospel in their communities, furthering the mission work of the church. So as we think about our church, as I finish, I want to give three particular ways in which we can be active, even as this small community that we can be active in the missionary work, the highly active missionary work that we are called to. So the first is going, then sending, thirdly, supporting. Firstly, going. There are still, at this date, at least 3,000 or more people groups in the world who we would consider as unreached. And unreached is either there is no Christian witness whatsoever, people who have not heard of Jesus at all, or there is no local church strong enough to support that work. There's just a few hundred scattered believers throughout those areas, like we heard from Tess the missionary just a few weeks ago in areas of Turkey. Uh, there might be just 10 or 20 believers scattered around in that area in a, in a predominantly Muslim country. So there are 3,000 plus unreached people groups and fundamental to the mission of the church is our commitment to make disciples of all nations, to enter into this commission, to make disciples of every tongue, tribe, language and nation, fundamental to our mission. And Jesus not only commissions his church to make disciples of, of these nations, but he actually says in Matthew 24, when he's talking about the very end, he says the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. The gospel must go out to all people because Christ has purchased a people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. The gospel must go out so that these people hear. Now, we may not all go to unreached people, but one thing is for sure, we must have a heart for unreached people. We must have a heart for Christ to be made known among these people. We must have a heart for the people, the same kind of heart that when we went over a few months ago, John Payton had, where in the face of severe opposition of people in Scotland telling him, why would you go to cannibal people in the New Hebrides, modern day Vanuatu? Why would you do that? And he said, because Christ's fame must be made known there. They must know about Jesus. They must know this treasure. If we believe that he is the treasure of all life, we will capture this heart. And maybe, and I am uh, convinced that at some point, someone from this church will go, that we will have the uh, privilege of being able to financially support the training, uh, the sending of missionaries to these unreached people groups. 
I would love that. And this leads me to the next point, that of sending. We must build a culture within our church where people are sent. We must build a culture within our church where it is normal to leave this comfortable, affluent life, where it is normal to take up the cost of discipleship, where it is no longer abnormal for someone to move to an unreached people and even Christians say, what are you doing? That's crazy. We must build a culture where it's normal to do that, where we have these holy blinders on, just no distractions from worldliness, not buying in to this cheap ideology that our lives are, are, are there to fundamentally just be happy and exist for ourselves. That is a lie. So we have to build this culture of sending people. And really, we are all sent. We are all sent people. John, in his other Great Commission, we have the Great Commission in Matthew 28, uh, which most of you will know, but if not, the title Great Commission was added about a thousand years after. Uh, so it's not in Scripture, but it's a helpful title. But Jesus didn't say this is the Great Commission. That was added in much later. And in John, we have this other type of a great commission and jesus says to the disciples as the father has sent me so i am sending you and we receive that as the church as the father has sent me so i am sending you which is to say you are a sent people we are all sent which is to say we have a purpose and our purpose is wrapped up in us plunging deeper into this commission that Christ has given us to make his name known among unreached peoples. And in God's providence, this is in no way to undercut everything I have just said, but in God's providence, God over the last 100 years has completely shifted the landscape of missions where he has brought some of the nations to the Western world. One of the most unreached people groups, if you look up the Joshua Project, one of the most unreached people groups is the Pashtun people in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Uh, the Joshua Project would have them as 0% Christian. And about a month and a half ago, we had a very leaky roof and I had someone, a bunch of people come out to do a quote on a leaky roof and I struck up a conversation with a guy and we were talking and it turns out that he is from the Pashtun people. He moved over from Pakistan about six or seven years ago, maybe longer than that, actually came by boat, has planted himself here and all of a sudden we have access to a people group that would be completely unreached in this little pocket of Beniathan in Tuggeranong in Canberra. God has completely shifted the landscape. This is not to say that there is not an urgent need to go, but it is to say that we should recognize the wonderful opportunities we have here. Not only in unreached peoples, but in people here in Canberra, people like me who was able to grow up without ever hearing the gospel for 20 years of my life. So we embody this culture of sentness. And finally, supporting God's heart for his people is that we would share his heart for his glory among the nations. And in God's kindness, he gives us practical opportunities to share this heart. And one of those practical ways that God gives us to share in his heart is by financially giving to the work 
of missions. See, just it's a fact that when we give to things financially, we are far more likely to be invested in those things in terms of prayer, thinking of them, touching base. When we are financially given, we are far more likely to be prayerful. Same line of Jesus saying, where your treasure is there, your heart will be. Where our material treasure, our finances go, our heart follows. So we give to the work of making Christ known among the nations. And I would love for our community to be just entirely about investing in people who invest in the cause of Christ and making that known rather than focusing upon building a building around us in some way, but actually investing in people who are going to partake in the Great Commission. And Paul actually demonstrates this in his letter to the Romans, which uh, we know the letter to the Romans as this just like theological masterpiece from Paul uh, and a wonderful picture of our salvation, very detailed. But many people wouldn't realize that there's a part of the Romans, the letter to the Romans, which is actually like a missionary support letter. It's actually like a, a missionary support letter in Romans 15. Paul goes into talking about God's wonderful plan of making Christ known among the nations, about how the Gentiles being brought in were all part of God's plan, always. And he quotes, and this is just, this is like a side note that's still connected, but just listen, because this is a wonderful, wonderful piece of uh, a picture of how uh, the Old Testament fits totally within the new and um, just how uh, there is this one consistent missional thread that goes all through Scripture. Because Paul in Romans 15, he is trying to talk about how God's purpose was that the Gentiles would come in. And he then gives these passages, four passages from the Old Testament. And he gives passages from Deuteronomy, Psalms and Isaiah, which is, if you uh, don't know, the Hebrew Bible is called the Tanakh. And it's split up into three sections, the Torah, which is the law, the writings, which is like the historical books and the Psalms are within that. And then the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and those. So it's split up into those three sections. And that's why it's called the Tanakh, because the Tanakh is the first two letters of the Hebrew word for the Torah, the prophet and the writings. And Paul gives these passages from the Torah from the writings and from the prophets to all show that God's plan is that the gospel would go out to the nations. And then he says in, in verse 24 to the Romans, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Now that's him saying, I want you to help me both in hospitality and bringing me in and in you sending me on in prayer and financial support in actually sending me on as I go to Spain to continue making Christ known. So we must share in this same heart for the ongoing mission of God, for the sake of God's glory among the nations. We go, we send, we support. And as I was saying earlier to James, we uh, remember that God is always pleased to show his glory through weak, frail jars of clay, through weak, small people. It's very easy for a megachurch of 10,000 people to spend 
X amount of money to send people over. And even then, the statistics show that uh, of churches in America, uh, 98% of their budget goes toward either staffing or buildings and 2% goes toward missions. And then of that 2%, and this is research done by the Barna Group, uh, of that 2%, there's about 2% given toward mission in unreached areas. It's, that's a crazy amount that's just shamefully low. And God is always pleased to display his glory through weak, seemingly small people, just capturing his heart for his fame among the nations. So I hope that God is stirring our heart today because this all happens. This idea of going, sending, supporting, this idea of capturing this heart happens within the melting pot of the Christian community who are totally sold out for making Christ known worshipping him, stirring each other on to love and good works. Let me pray. Father, I ask that you would right now just seal your will upon our hearts. Help us to grasp the, the burning desire that we ought to have for making Christ known among the nations. Help us to, to have this Copernican-type revolution where you are totally at the centre. We are absolutely given over to your work. We revolve around you and your purpose. Let us lose every ounce of self-centeredness. Let us have a wonderful, liberating God-centeredness where we forget ourselves and we find infinite joy in following the cause of Christ, in being your disciples. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.